You're listening to WHUP LP Hillsboro. My name is Gilbert Neal. And by golly, this is D-Sides, Orphans, and Oddities. How are you doing? I am well. Ah, thank you so much for asking. You know, the James Brown song, Look at Them Cakes, comes to mind. For goodness sakes, look at them cakes. And today's show is no different. A bunch of rock and roll cakes you can grab onto. For goodness sakes, look at them first, then grab them. (sighs) I should have rehearsed this. So I'm going to be playing some very obscure music. And the first set I have here for you is as obscure as it gets. But we start with Cal Chater, who is the godfather of Wendy and Bonnie, who we'll be featuring a little bit later. And when we say we, I mean I. So let's get this party started. Because as they say, I want to sex you up, not with hog-like utterings or a diseased walrus, but with rock and roll. Let's have that happen now, shall we? Yes. Shed 
der nass will die Mama plötzlich wissen und der Kleine ist ganz blass, hat sich gerade freigeschissen. Mama schaut den Kleinen an, doch bevor er sprechen kann, spürt der Kleine wieder. In den Gliedern, in der Kehle, im Gewühl der Seele, ein Gefühl aus Angst und Liebe. Ach, Kleiner, das ist nur Lampenfieber, Kleiner. Das ist nur Lampenfieber. Eine Kleine schaut den Kleinen in die Augen tief hinein und der Kleine möchte weinen, sagt das Mädchen wieder Nein. Schalter für Kredit 
Mitte steht der Kleine wie versteinert. Um ein Darlehen will er bitten und der Kleine ist noch kleiner und man schaut ihn prüfend an. Doch bevor er sprechen kann, spürt der Kleine wieder. In der Glieder, in der Kehle, im Gewühl der Seele, ein Gefühl, die Angst der Diebe. Ach, Kleiner, das ist nur Lampenfieber, Kleiner. Das ist nur Lampenfieber. Nein, 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 der Kleine will nicht klein sein. Rennt zum Chef und will ihm sagen, dass er ein verdammtes Schwein sei. Kann es aber dann nicht wagen. Und man schaut ihn strafend an, als er endlich sprechen kann, spürt der Kleine wieder. Das ist nur Lampenfieber, Kleiner. Das ist nur Lampenfieber. Tanzen trotz der Totenstarre, frei ist nur die Kunst der Narren auf der Bühne steht der Kleine und versteckt sich hinter Reimen. Sänger Kleiner, sei ein Mann. Doch bevor er singen kann, spürt der Kleine wieder. ตามแนวตามคงพันของควายควาย
การพบแล้วพบมันตอนฝนครับมันนอนแช่น้ำแจนสบายสบายพอกแกนมันไม่หายจะผิดหวังมันอย่างไรชิดมันไม่ไม้รักควายของเธอควายเอ๋ยสมเป็นควายคุยควายเอ๋ยสมเป็นควายคุยควายเอ๋ยสมเป็นคุยเอ๋ยคุยจริงไอ้เธอไม่คิดไปเจอผู้ชมเธอต้องอีกแล้วอย่าลืมจะเรินตามแนวตามคงพันพองควายควายควายใหญ่ปลิวปลิวงาเหมือนฝรั่งมันเคยเล่นหนังกระทบดารามากมายตูกพระและนาทีหลังก็รู้ยิ่งดูยิ่งครั้งแล้วไงไม่หวังเพราะพันของควายควายหายลองขอกมาอยู่ควายหายลองขอกมาอยู่ควายหายลองขอกมาคิดมาตอบก็รู้อะไรได้ไอ้ทุนหนุ่มแล้วมันคงจะเริญตามแนวตามคงพันของควายควายฉันพบแล้วพบมันตอนฝนครั้งมันนอนแช่น้ำแต่สบายสบายเพอแกนมันไม่หายจะผิดหวังมันอย่างไรชิดมันไม่ไม้รักควายของเธอควายเอ๋ยสมเป็นควายคุยควายเอ๋ยสมเป็นควายคุยควายเอ๋ยสมเป็นคุยเอ๋ยคุยจริงไอ้เธอไม่คิดไปเจอผู้ชมเธอต้องอีกแล้วอย่าลืมจะเริ่มตามแนวตามคงพันของควายควายอย่าลืมจะเริ่มตามแนวตามคงพันของควายควายอย่าลืมจะเริ่มตามแนวตามคงพันของควายควาย Wonderful, isn't it? Oh my God, so wonderful! You're listening to D Sides, Orphans, and Oddities on WHUP. Oh, we started that set with Cal Jader. Yes, along comes Mary from 1967, and then Give Me Shelter from 1971, and then Maran Gosov with a song called. Lamp and Fever from 1977. I don't know what he's saying. It's it's like uh, I don't know, existential dread. German German existentialist dread. Wonderful. Oh my God! I'm so glad I got to play that on my show. Because <sighs> now I can say that I did. And then Sakarin. Boonpit from Thailand recorded a his one and only album was just a co- covers of Elvis songs, and on the cover he's dressed up like Elvis, and uh, he does a whole bunch of them songs that you know, including the one I just played, which was uh, Little Sister. But if you take the title that's on the album. And you put it in the old Google Translator, it comes up with "Buffalo disappears around the stall." <laughs> I love it. All right. All right. So uh, there was a band started in 1968 called Silver Apples. 
And they recorded one album in 1968, and it sounded like nothing before. Pretty much nothing before. I mean, you know, I love you. You know, I love United States of America, and sort of sounds like that. Sort of sounds like a cross between that and and um. Hmm. I'd say maybe the residents in their more serious moments. Uh, so on Discogs it says. Uh, Silver Apples formed in New York in 1967 and comprised percussionist Danny Taylor and lead vocalist Simeon, who played an instrument also dubbed the Simeon, which, uh, according to notes on the duo's self-titled 1968 debut LP, consisted of nine audio oscillators and 86 manual controllers. The lead and rhythm oscillators are played with the hands, elbows, and knees, and the bass oscillators are played with the feet. Although the utterly uncommercial record, you will hear it, some of it, sold poorly, the Silver Apples resurfaced a year later with their sophomore effort, Contact. Now, once you hear this, you'll, you'll hear that it was unlike anything that was before, really. But when they made their second album, called Contact, on the cover they are sitting in a cockpit, an airplane cockpit, that resulted that one picture, they got sued by the airline which owned the plane. And that took them out of the running pretty much for decades. They had to defend themselves in court, and that was that. No more money. No more records until they came out again in 1998. I'll be playing you one of those songs. Uh, same, Same sort of thing. Really, really inventive, neat. I like it. I like, um, I like Silver Apples. And I'm, I'm glad that um, I was able to uh, discover them for myself recently. And uh, here is uh, Silver Apples. <laughs> I can't get over that last record. It's so nutty. <laughs> Magnetic fluctuations, waves 
course of skill and talent.
think they played that at our wedding uh or our prom i don't know um so that was silver apples what did you think did you like them i think that they were very interesting and uh, unique for their time started that set with oscillations from 1968 program from 1968 then i don't care what the people say from 1998 and you and i from 1969 from the contact album the one that they got sued over because of the cover photograph. Things were funny. Things are funny. My name is Gilbert Neal. This is D-Sides, Orphans, and Oddities on WHUPFM.org or 104.7 FM if you're driving around downtown Hillsboro. My podcast is at dsides.podbean.com. My shoe size is 13. I'm left-handed. I'm mostly liberal in things. I like lasagna. Okay, so. Hey, do you know Wendy and Lisa? They were in uh, Prince of the Revolution. They did some fantastic solo stuff in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. 
probably now they're doing soundtracks and stuff but i um when i uh when their first record came out i bought it and i love it i think it's great um i especially like the song um waterfall as well as honeymoon express they made videos for both of those it just so happens that those are just two fantastic songs love them so what do they have in common with wendy and bonnie wendy and bonnie were on the sky label and they released one album in 1969 they recorded in 68 and um was released in 69 and the sky records label contained artists like ruth brown who i've played on my show lena horn who i've played on my show gary mcfarland uh armando perazza chuck rainey who i played on my show gabor gabor zabo who i've played many many times on my show grady tate who's from durham and uh the Haytai district and i played him he did um I got six, something six, and Cal Jader, who I played at the top of my show. Cal Jader was the godfather of Wendy and Bonnie, who were 17 and 13 when they commenced recording their one and only album. And it's fantastic. It's really, really good. And especially even... Even adults releasing this kind of music would be would be very good. But these were teenage girls who knew what kind of potential they had. But the story is that Wendy and Bonnie recorded for Sky Records. And uh, I already told you what they did, what Sky Records did. And they went bankrupt while Wendy and Bonnie were in the nascent stages of promoting their album. Cause who knows what would have happened if they would have stayed together. The record company had stayed solvent. I mean, these were big shots who were in charge of this, but it went bankrupt. And, um, of course, if I was still, uh, if, if my friend Ken Ray Wildman would come around, he would know immediately because he's got that, that, uh, sense that, um, Jim Keltner was the drummer on this record, as well as Larry Carlton, Larry Carlton on guitar and Mike Melvoin, who was the father of Wendy Melvoin, who was in Wendy and Lisa. Isn't that something? How about that? Well, no one cares but me at the moment, but I don't care because this this record was released to relative anonymity. But Sunday's Records, who I really, really like, re-released it in 2001 on CD. And a few years later, it was re-released in expanded format, including demos, alternate mixes, vintage live recordings, and uh, it was a fantastic set. So people of, of my ilk, and when I say that, I don't mean, you know, make love like a, a rutting hog who knows its species is about to die off or a whale who's been, or excuse me, a walrus who's been um, shot with a poison, slow acting poison dart. 
Um, what I mean is people who are like sort of amateur archivists, people who like that outsider music stuff. I really, really like it. I mean, obviously I do because if you've been listening to the show tonight, you know that I'm, that I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm sick for that stuff. I'm silly, silly with that stuff. And, uh, when Wendy and Bonnie, when their record became well known in the early 2000s, it was sort of a cause celeb because these girls were really, really good. So I'm going to play you some Wendy and Bonnie from their one and only album released in 1969. What did I say? I don't know. Anyhow, I hope you like this. You probably recognize the song. If if you are that kind of person, I'm going to be playing their song By the Sea, which was sampled by the um, space rock band Super Furry Animals. And so it goes. So here is some Wendy and Bonnie. For you. The winter is cold, it's cold. The winter is cold, it's cold. The winter is cold, it's cold. It's cold on you and it's cold on me. The winter is cold, it's cold. The winter is cold, it's cold. The winter is cold, it's cold. It's cold on you and it's cold on me. Since you.
think wendy and bonnie from their album the one and only album genesis and we started with the wind is cold by the sea and then uh the mono version of five o'clock in the morning from their uh three album box set three album career spanning thingy from sundays and then uh let yourself go another time this is D-Sides, Orphans, and Oddities, and my name is Gilbert Neal. Uh, you know, <clears throat> everybody borrows from somewhere. Everybody. Unless you're uh, an African coming by gunpoint to the United States in like the 16 and 1700s. Everybody borrows from everybody. Like the Beatles, they borrowed from tons of people. Tons of people they never thought anybody would ever discover, or they lifted inadvertently. They nicked things, as they said. They nicked it from this and that. George Harrison got sued. Uh, John Lennon 
he paid a dear price for doing this thing. And I also happen to know that um, he recorded a song called What You Got on uh, Walls and Bridges, and I know that was stolen. I don't think anyone has really made a big case of that because, you know, it's John Lennon and all that stuff. But he did pay a price later on in his career by having to do the rock and roll album. Yeah. But you know who the kings are. You know that the king who the kings are of borrowing stuff are uh, Led Zeppelin. Their first album, their second album, tons and tons of uncredited stuff. They were, I don't know what they were trying to do. I mean, I know what they were trying to do, but why didn't they just credit the people who they stole from? Uh, I don't know. But, you know, they started life as the New Yard Birds. And I actually have uh, assembled some Yard Birds stuff. I'm not a big fan. I don't really like the Yard Birds. I'm more a fan of uh, <clears throat> um, Keith Ralph, who uh, after the Yardbirds uh, formed uh, the Renaissance, and I kind of like Renaissance's early albums. I was afraid of them for a while, but not so much anymore. I think that there's a... Uh, certain um, virtuosity uh, that is not Keith Ralph, but the other members of the band, the piano player and the bass player especially. Um, and of course, that band evolved into the uh, Annie Haslam version. But I digress! I'm talking about the Yardbirds and how Led Zeppelin, or Jimmy Page in particular, just took ideas that they were working on in the Yardbirds and just took them. And uh, everybody does it. Led Zeppelin did it. Everybody did it. But after listening to these Yardbird sides, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. Because, like I said, I'm not. I was. Not, I'm, not, I'm not even. I'm not even a big fan of their hits. They're like um, to me. They're like Buffalo Springfield. I'm like, I'm not a big fan. I mean, everybody says I should be. And by everybody, I mean people I don't know who I listen to talking about how great they are. But I don't think they are. I think they're okay. I'm not a, I don't like Neil Young at all. But, you know, I, I love the Mighty Zap. I, I love them. I think they made great records. I think Jimmy Page's presence as a producer and a session player Playing those wonderful sloppy leads. Can't beat it. But originality was not Led Zeppelin's strong suit. <sighs> so I'm going to play you four songs from about 1968. When uh, the Yardbirds were breathing their last. And the Mighty Zepp was being formed. This is WHUPLP Hillsboro. I'm Gilbert Neal. This is Jesus. I hope you I hope that both of you are having a good night. Let's listen to this thing now. <laughs> 
Is it stay? Is it go? Give me a clue, cause I just want to know. Give me a clue as to where I am at. Feel like a mouse and you act like a cat.
demo you know <clears throat> so what did you think that was a pretty uh, faithful version of the Jake Holmes original uh, the credits to the Yardbirds 68 album it says uh, written by Jimmy Page inspired by Jake Holmes who actually wrote the song pretty much as you heard it Anyway, we started that set with Knowing That I'm Losing You, which was a version of, uh, which was the instrumental version of a song that they later recorded in Led Zeppelin as Tangerine. Uh, then White Summer. Uh, and then Glimpses. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Dazed and Confused, as I mentioned. So, I don't know. I don't get a lot of out of the Yardbirds. I'm sure that they were this and that. But uh, you know how the story goes. Uh, they started with Eric Clapton, who left because they weren't pure blues anymore. He wanted to honor the blues. So he left and joined uh, the Blues Breakers. And then uh, Cream, who had, you know, precious, precious little to do with the blues. Sometimes they would jam, man. But uh, then he gets tired of that. Derek, Derek and the Dominoes. And then uh, his solo career, sleepy as it was, pretty disappointing. But, you know, I'm not going to talk about that. <sighs> I just think it's funny that, uh, you know, I'm all about the blues, man. And then you end up releasing the way that you use it, which is garbage. Anyway, my name is Gilbert Neal. This is D-Sides, Orphans and Oddities. And uh, I played some pretty weird stuff tonight, and I'm going to continue doing that because I just, I just, I get a kick out of it. It's just amazing. It's just wonderful, isn't it? So let's hear what happens now with this Eric Burden and the Animals track that doesn't feature Eric Burden.
are rolling. Big Mac truck's gonna fly. Big Mac truck's gonna ride on through. Cause we're toting our own shotguns. Big Mac trucks are rolling down Highway US 1. When up ahead there's Union members toting sawed off shotguns. Big Mac trucks are rolling. Big Mac trucks gonna fly. Big Mac trucks gonna ride on through. Cause we're toting our own shotguns. Just a single truck driver. Trying to make no waves. But the will of the union. They say I must obey. Big Mac trucks are rolling. Big Mac truck's gonna fly Big Mac truck's gonna ride on through Cause we're toting our own shotguns Big Mac truck's are rolling Big Mac truck's gonna fly Big Mac truck's gonna ride on through Cause we're toting our own shotguns Man, he's trying to do What's best for you and I But does he realize that we can't afford To let the monopoly win out Big Mac trucks are rolling Big Mac trucks gonna fly Big Mac truck's gonna ride on through Cause we're toting our own shotguns Big Mac trucks are rolling Big Mac truck's gonna fly Big Mac truck's gonna ride on through Cause we're toting our own shotguns Yes, we're toting our own shotguns Yes, we're toting our own shotguns say God is love, that my mother will love me no matter what, but if I should burn my draft card, I'm no longer your son. How can you even speak of love when you don't seem to understand that the very first step in giving love is to accept someone as he is, not as you would like him to be? You say I'm free, that I have a voice in the government, but you forget. I'm not old enough to vote. You say you believe in your own rights as well as the rights of others, yet you refuse to even listen to what I believe is the natural pursuit of my rights. Doesn't the real test of a free nation and its democracy lie in the right of its people to question their government? You say I'm ungrateful to this country that has given me so much, that I doubt the principles upon which it was founded, 
That's not true at all. It's just that I doubt some of our new founded principles. I live to see the day when people no longer think that war is necessary. Oh, I'll support any country fighting for the right to govern itself. But I'm not willing to lose my life in some far-off country when many of their own young men are unwilling to fight and die for their country. No, Father. I won't embarrass you or Mother by burning my draft card. But I reserve the right to express what I feel in my heart. If I have to fight in one of your so-called necessary wars, I'll go. But remember that thousands of American homes will never be the same because the awful numbness of death in a distant jungle has stilled their laughter forever. Please, Dad, don't let the sound of taps deaden the lips of those millions of Americans who believe in their country's right to ask why.
My, my, my. Oh, my, my. That is some hardcore deep-fried rock and roll. Mm-hmm. All right. We started that set with Eric Burden and the Animals with Orange and Red Beams from 1968. What could be more 1968 than Orange and Red Beams, man? After that, a song called Big Mac Trucks, and I cannot track the artist down, but I know I have it, and I know I played it. No one can take that away from me. After that, Brandon Wade, Letter from a Teenage Son from 1967. You know, I'll tell you, if you take all of the songs I've played about letters from parents to kids and kids to parents about the Vietnam War, you'd have a whole show. Well, you'd have to combine it with songs about abortion, which I... I'm also going to play a song later on, which takes the viewpoint, the vantage point of, a, of an aborted fetus. So there you are. And uh, oh, you'd have a nice little show there, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? And finally, Bulldog with Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo, which was a huge hit for Rick Derringer around that time, but was recorded before that by, uh, was the Edgar Winter Group? Johnny Winter Group, group. the band he was in with uh, Dan Hartman. Bulldog was uh, an obscure spinoff of the Rascals that formed in 1971. Gene Cornish and Dino Dinelli, after leaving their successful act, enlisted Billy Hotcher... John Turi and Eric Thorngren to round out the lineup. After a successful showcase performance, Decca Records came calling, and soon Bulldog's self-titled debut was released. Though the album sported some uncharacteristic heaviness that surely surprised Rascal fans, the album was a bit too short on hooks to captivate the fickle recorded record-buying public. So, in any case, their contract with Decca after one album came to an abrupt end, and they spent the rest of 73 looking for another contract, and Neil Bogart's Buddha Records came a-calling. You know I love Buddha Records. Um, yielded their sophomore release, Smasher, from which you heard their cover of rock and roll, Hoochie <laughs> Uh, now this was a different sounding album showing the band's tightened and more elaborate sound somewhat removed from the vibe of their rudimentary debut perhaps buddha's primary reputation for bubblegum and novelty records can explain why this release was virtually ignored upon its release hmm. that was poorly written i didn't write that someone else did in discogs in retrospect, it had been collectible. It had become quite a collectible with its sophisticated die-cut cover and ornate design. Packaging aside, the content itself is patchy, like the first album. But once things get rolling, it's an improvement. Their rendition that you just heard of "Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo" is among one of the more inspired moments of the album. So. 
Despite the promise found here, the album sank without even a slight showing on the Billboard charts, and Bulldog was dead by early 1975. Cornish and Dinelli would resurface a few years later, teaming up with Wally Bryson of the Raspberries in the excellent, they say, power pop act Photomaker. I have featured Photomaker on this show years ago, but I didn't know too much about Bulldog. I'd heard a couple songs of theirs. So they went from uh, the Rascals to Bulldog to Photomaker. They issued several strong albums, their opinion not mine. They too were dealt a merciless death, leaving Cornish and Dinelli on the oldie circuit in a revived lineup of the Rascals. I knew it was going to happen. You slide inexorably down the rock and roll fame mountain to oblivion. Speaking of oblivion, I'm done talking. You're done listening. Here's some more music. I'll see you probably next week. I don't know. No, actually, I won't see you next week. It's my birthday. So, going away. So, you'll just have to live with a random repeat show. Picked for you by the connoisseurs here at WHUP. Sniffing the cork of rock and roll obsequience. Presenting to you on a... Uh, never mind. All right. Well, this is this is weird stuff. <laughs> My brother-in-law Virgil to appreciate this story, but since you don't try to imagine this 300-pound carry top and tells lousy jokes and goes, uh, uh, sits out in his backyard every Saturday in his Bermuda shorts, playing with his navel, getting tanked up on beer. Long about dark, starts making noises like, Yeah! You know him, do you? But then good, you'll appreciate this story about how he put me $10,000 in debt for what he finally referred to as the $300 vacation. Well, Virgil Chenille, yeah, that's my wife's sister's name. Her mom happened to look down at the bedspread while she was in labor and thought Chenille was a pretty name. When my wife was born, the old lady couldn't decide between Polly and Esther, so she named her Nacron. Virgil Chenille and five heathen youngins come over the other night, and Virgil hit us with his big holiday idea. You and us could all load up and go to Washington, D.C. Go see the Capitol, Washington Monument, Washington Redskins, and the eight old bookstores. Yeah! Virgil, boy, that's fine for you, but I ain't got the green stamps to go to no Washington, D.C. and see no eight old bookstores. Ain't go ghosts, but $300. Gonna buy some old school bus, fix it up for sleeping, eating, and plumbing, and we gone. Yeah! Well, next day, me and Virgil took off to eyeball this $250 school bus he found. Hey, Virgil, that'd be all right. I ain't seen a Rio since the Second World War. We filled up the crankcase with 78 motor oil, stopped by Goodwill, and give them all the seats and $50 for four bunk beds and a set of Sea Rock City salt and pepper shakers. This $300 vacation had done cost us $300, and we were still six weeks from leaving town. Virgil hadn't paid me his half, said he'd have to wait because the dog gave his checkbook. Virgil said he'd put in the plumbing in the bus if I'd get the refrigerator. I wound up paying $682 for one of them fancy camping freezers. Virgil's idea of plumbing turned out to be a $2 thermos bottle, an enema bag with a shower nozzle, and an antique slop bucket. Hey, we having us some fun? Whoa! Well, there we was, waiting to leave. Four adults, seven youngins, and Virgil's hound dog. Virgil, boy, you didn't tell me you was bringing the dog with eight's checkbook. Can't leave her to home because she's in heat, but she won't be no trouble. Virgil painted the real bus white with big red and blue letters down both sides, said going to Washington, all one word, G-O-U-N-T-A-W-A-R-S-H-N-U-N. 
this $300 vacation and now cost $1,776. But we was finally pulling out of the driveway when the motor fell out of the Rio and Virgil suggested we take advantage of the Bicentennial family plan discount and fly. Get that old airplane and we gone. Whoa! When we got to that Warsaw Airport, right there was a sign that said Benedict Arnold Motel. Convenient, economical, and we accept pay it. So we took it. Turned out to be in a nearby suburb known as Baltimore. 60 miles from Washington and $40 ahead. Be sure to keep up with what I owe you. A $26 taxi ride let us off square down in front of the Watergate Hotel. And Virgil said, sure, Watergate's where Hank Washington got let off. Oh, oh, oh. He wrote it down on the dog's ear because he thought it was so funny. Ain't that funny? Whoa! And he put a slap on my back and sent me straight towards the Washington Monument. So we all got in line 14 blocks away while Virgil took off to the nearest Adolph bookstore. When we got to the front of the line, they gave us a little card that told us when we could see the monument. It said your appointment is for 5 p.m. December 12, 1977. About that time we heard a familiar, Yoo! Looked up, and was Virgil at the top window of that monument. Met somebody at the Adolph bookstore with important connections. Then on to the Capitol where we was fined $500 when Virgil's oldest boy drew a mustache on Alexander Hamilton. Of course, that was nothing compared to the $5,000 fine when Virgil's youngest boy smashed the glass protecting our nation's most cherished documents and the dog ate the last nine words of the Bill of Rights. Total cost of that $300 vacation came to $10,219.76. When I asked Virgil for his hat, he said I'd have to wait because the trip made him feel so patriotic that he went right out and bought a new Lincoln. We did go a little over budget, but it was still a heck of a trip for somewhere around $300. Woo!
It is 8 p.m. and you are listening to W 